Hey everyone, this is another Patreon preview. In this episode, we're going over the Seattle General Strike of 1919, going over that history. Uh, this is a little clip from that. If you want the full thing, go to patreon.com slash workstoppage and support us because we're an entirely listener-supported show, and we really, really appreciate it. If you can't afford that, jump in the Discord, message one of the admins, and we'd be happy to hook you up with this cool history as well as some of the other stuff that we have put out. Well, without any further ado, enjoy this clip and solidarity forever. The state attempted to prevent strikes across the country, but of course also in Seattle, with a combination of repression, as we've you know seen all over U.S. history, such as things like banning anti-war speech, hence why you know Eugene Debs famously had to run for president from prison because of his outspoken opposition to the war. But they also used co-optation, which is also extremely common, where the U.S. government reached an agreement with uh, longtime enemy of the show, Sam Gompers, and the AFL to stop actively opposing the existence of unions in exchange for an agreement by the entire AFL not to strike during the war. You know, with how many times Sam Gompers has come up in our episodes, we almost need to do an entire episode exclusively about him because yeah. there is just so many different things that that motherfucker had his hands in. I mean, when you are the king of making that many bad deals, <laughs> it really feels like you should write a book about it or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mr. Unionism, pure and simple. Why would we need to change anything about society? We just need to divide the pie up a little fairer. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's one of the founding figures of American-style business unionism, so maybe maybe we'll do like a... Uh, like. Uh, portraits of traitors sort of <laughs> episode we series. already got a title dan and you're worried about the titles that you come up with come on this is a banger you will know, we'll do one on sam gompers basically just all the heads of the afl up until like i'll go back 90s. and rename the Sol. i'll go back and rename the Solinsky episode yeah. <laughs> portraits yeah. of traitors the <laughs> saga of the afl <laughs> yeah pretty much up until the last couple of decades um but yeah, so because of this combination of the government stamping down on strikes and the leadership of the AFL willingly base essentially signing a nationwide no strike pledge, you had a huge drop in the number of strikes across the country during the war. Uh, now, many workers individually and in small groups were like, uh, we didn't sign this agreement. We never got to vote on giving up our right to strike. And so there were, of course, still scattered strikes across the country that happened anyways. But by the end of the war, this repression of strikes and the lack of support from the AFL had really caused worker militancy to reach a boiling point in the U.S. And 1919 would end up seeing more U.S. workers on strike than almost any other year in history. Uh, you know, you have to kind of come to the next post-war strike wave in 1946, where you really see the height of that level of worker militant uh, action. And at the same time, though, you have the workers who are paying attention who are just like, wait a minute, we're not supposed to strike this entire time. Yet, the government is pouring enormous amounts of money through subsidies into private corporations 
while at the same time telling workers they're not allowed to strike for better wages or better conditions. And so this contradiction between massive largesse from the government towards the ruling class and more and more austerity for the working class in the same period meant that you, you had workers all over the U.S. ready to fight back and, and who were just fed up with the situation that had developed during the war. So just a few weeks into the year, on January 21st, only a couple of months after the end of World War I, 35,000 dock workers in Seattle walked off the job demanding a fair wage, specifically fighting for an increase for the lowest paid workers on the docks, which this is, you know, one of those trends we see over and over again. You have all this, you know, people talking about, oh, people are just individualistic. People are, are what is it, like, econo- what is that, the homo economicus? It's like everybody's <laughs> working out for rational self-interest, the neoliberal <laughs> schema of, of how people work. And it's like, yeah. yep, so often... We see over and over and over again throughout history and today in so many of these strikes, the workers who maybe are a little bit better off than some of the worst paid folks are more than happy to sign on to demands that primarily benefit the worst paid workers, the folks who are facing the most exploitation over and over and over again. It's almost like solidarity is a human trait. that goes across time and place. <laughs> it's almost like people aren't economic automatons instantiated once and then never changed. <laughs> <laughs> Dang wild idea. <laughs> People's actions and beliefs come from somewhere. I don't, it's hard to even think about that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so these workers were they also demanded the right to negotiate directly with the shipping companies rather than being forced to go through a government mediation board that be- prevented the workers from maximizing their leverage because the workers have a lot more leverage on the one company they're working for than they do to the entire weight of the U.S. government, which is obviously not working in their interest. Um, the shipping companies, though, they countered the workers' offer with classic move. They attempted to split the workers against each other by and, and attempted to destroy the unity that the organized workers had put together. And they did that by offering a raise to the workers. They're like, all right, you, you're walking off all 35,000 of you. Fine. You want a raise, we'll give you a raise. But only to the skilled trades who are already the highest paid workers and also, of course, one of the smaller groups of those workers. And with no raises for the lowest paid, quote unquote, unskilled workers. It seems to me that that's the opposite of what they were asking for. It, in fact, <laughs> is the opposite of what they were asking for. And the workers, shockingly, did not take the bribe attempt. And the move by the shippers to try and do that only actually like made the workers mad and more determined to win the strike. Damn. It's almost like people are fundamentally good. <laughs> take that, Steven Pinker. Go That's cry right. until it kills you. <laughs> <laughs> and But one of the big things that threw a wrench into these you know, attempts by the dock workers to win their strike was the, was the involvement of the federal government directly and actively on the side of the shipping companies. Because it, during the war, as the government is pouring all of this money to develop the port of Seattle for the, you know, economic health of America, basically, so we can do trade in order to get the resources we need to build more weapons and sell them to all the the countries in Europe fighting and get very rich. Um, 
So as a part of the way that they did that, the government established a state-run program for subsidizing the construction of ports and shipping lines as a substitute for that lost European trade. And that organization, the Emergency Fleet Corporation, played a huge role in development of the Port of Seattle and thus the guiding development of the city as a whole. And during the 1919 negotiation, Charles, and I tried to look how, up how to pronounce this, if it's uh, pies or Pete's or, or Piez. Um, I'm guessing it's Piez, but I'm not sure. And also this guy is, uh, a antagonist in the story. So, uh, I don't really care if I get his name wrong. So we're going to uh, call him Charlie P- Chucky Pies. That's Chucky right. Pies. So, <laughs> Chucky Pies, head of the emergency fleet corporation. When this strike was launched and the workers demanded a pay increase for the lowest paid workers, Charlie Pies sent a message to the shipping companies telling them absolutely under no circumstances were they to offer a wage increase to the workers. So you have the government literally coming in and telling the shipping companies, yeah, no, you cannot give those workers a raise. Absolutely not. Huh. But, 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 you know, free enterprise, Dan. (laughs) yeah it's weird that they don't object to the government interfering to help them exploit workers uh it's only the other way they have a problem with Uh, so i don't know (laughs) if maybe maybe this whole idea of well we we have a principle of small government that might be uh bullshit (laughs) yeah it's like there's some sort of class interest involved or something (laughs) it's like whenever the workers flex their power a little bit the bosses go running to uncle sam and are like mom said you have to pick a two-player game (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah yeah i mean it's, it's pretty similar to kind of how the the rail companies have leaned on the fact that they know that the government, when when push comes to shove, will jump into the fight on their side and shut down a strike. So, mm-hmm. as we've seen, companies are more than happy to accept government interference in the economic sphere as long as it's pro-ruling class. <laughs> but the funny thing about this message is that it didn't just end up going to the shippers who it was addressed to. One of them was intercepted and was actually forwarded to the Metal Trades Council. Oh. Who had been running the strike. Great OPSEC, guys. <laughs> and so quite understandably. This is like the leaked uh, Target emails. Yeah, or when the New York Times Tech Guild was was about to go on strike and they accidentally CC'd the, the man, like management accidentally CC'd the union with a copy of their anti-union consultant briefing. <laughs> so I was born at Saturday Bridge. I grew up in the cold rusties. The daddy ran a tavern there. I buy a pistol blade.
can wander down to Pike Street. It's as still as still can be. Except for the wagons bearing the sign, exempt by the strike. 